Hi, this is Lisa Brenner, and welcome to the 20th anniversary of The Patriot on Hollywood and beyond. I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. Welcome to the Patriot 20th Anniversary Celebration, here on Hollywood and Beyond. A third cast member from Roland Emmerich's masterpiece, The Patriot, joins me on the show today. Shannon Eubanks, who, as Mrs. Sims, provided a memorable moment in the film involving a dramatic scenario that resulted in a humorous outcome. In the scene, Benjamin Martin, portrayed by Mel Gibson in a truly unforgettable performance, hijacks, along with his fellow group of rebels, a British ship and promptly blows it up, with onlookers General Lord Charles Cornwallis, portrayed masterfully by Tom Wilkinson, and my guest today, whose character mistakens the explosion for fireworks. The beast took your dogs as well. Yes, yeah. Fine animals, a gift from his majesty. Dead now, for all I know. Is there no decency? Oh, oh, fireworks, lovely. <laughs> Shannon is here to share some of her memories of appearing in the film. Her career journey is nothing short of amazing. Decades of television, film, and theater credits. It's wonderful to have her on the show today. Welcome to the show, Shannon Eubanks. It's delightful to be with you, Stephen. So nice to be speaking with you today. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm wonderful, thank you. It's a little rainy here, but we can use it in Atlanta. So uh, everything is good. Well, I'm so glad to hear that, and, and happy fall to you. It just turned fall a few days ago for all of us. Magically. <laughs> here in the South, we're a little concerned because sometimes we get this wonderful fall weather, and then it will get hot again. But everyone's got everything crossed, and nobody's unpacking their winter clothes yet. That's good to hear. Well, I am absolutely thrilled and honored to have such a talented lady on the show. So thank you for, you know, being interested and being a part of my tribute to the 20th anniversary of The Patriot. And I can't wait to hear what some of your stories and memories are from appearing in the film. But I thought we would start at the very beginning and ask where you are from. Originally, I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, so when I went to shoot The Patriot, I was on my old stomping grounds. Oh, I see. Very interesting. And why did you decide to become an actress? 
it's a completely offbeat reason. You know, many people say, I've always known I wanted to act since I was a child. I didn't. I was not a star of a high school drama department or anything like that, um, although I had been in a few plays. I went to college on a Phi Beta Kappa scholarship intending to pursue pre-med, and I did pursue pre-med, but... A friend of mine said that the most terrifying experience in life was to audition for the then head of the college drama department. He was a brilliant man with several doctorate degrees. Um, He looked like God, he sounded like God, and he had the attitude of God. And they said, just, I'll pay you 20 bucks if you'll just go read for a plate before this guy and see if you survive. So I went and auditioned and ended up getting cast and started enjoying working in the college drama department, appeared in a lot of plays there. So I became dual track, pre-med and performing arts. And I was going through college in the summer times. I would go all year, go in the summer times on an accelerated course because I wanted to get out quickly. So I actually graduated in a little over two and a half years of a four-year course. And as I got into my final, what would be the equivalent of a year, my faculty advisors started fighting over which discipline I should pursue. I was accepted to two medical schools. I was also offered my graduate training in performing arts at two universities. And I ended up not doing any of that and instead doing a uh, what they call an equity is the theater union uh, equity training program in residence at a professional theater company for two years. Broke my parents' heart because they were so close to having a doctor and not having to worry about me for the rest of my life. And instead, I got my training in theater and immediately moved to Los Angeles. And the rest, as they say, is history. And the rest, as they say, (laughs) is history. Yes. What a wonderful story. I really enjoyed listening to that. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like it took some courage on your part to take those first steps after that description you gave. You know, what was interesting is that uh, about a year after I'd been out out in Los Angeles, and of course, I immediately started performing in theater and made it into Theater World, which was a yearly compendium of what's going on in theater across the United States. My faculty advisor in pre-med called my parents and said, you know, I know there was kind of a knife fight over which direction Shannon was going to go, and I was bitterly disappointed, but I realized now that her interest had actually been in research. Um, Neuroscience was way in its infancy back when I got out of college, but in, in that nascent period, that's what I was interested in. And he said... You know, if she had done the medical track, she would have had a very specific focus on a particularly narrow 
area. And with what she is doing in theater, I see she's not only performing, she's directing, she's designing sets, she's designing costumes. And I actually think from an emotional standpoint, she's going to be happier. And I'm just calling to tell you that I want to bury the hatchet. I'm no longer (laughs) furious that she didn't go into medicine. I support the choice, which made them feel better. Sure. Absolutely. And what a very impressive career that you have put together over the years. It has been varied. (laughs) (laughs) You have been a part of so many interesting projects, and I thought I would go ahead and let the listeners know, Shannon, that you are willing to come back for a second appearance to discuss your career in general, and I just wanted to say thank you for that opportunity. Oh, I'd be delighted, Stephen. Well, I am already looking forward to it, and I'm sure the listeners out there are as well. Well, if we get closer to the Patriot, do you happen to recall what you may have been doing uh, as an actress at that time right before the Patriot? Um, Right before the Patriot, I had relocated from Los Angeles to Atlanta. Uh, My husband came to work on a miniseries project that shot in Atlanta for many months, and he came back to L.A. and said, you know, we have spent our whole lives flying through Atlanta, and it's absolutely gorgeous there. And we came back to Los Angeles and went, kind of, isn't that interesting? And a year or two later, there were two earthquakes, three mudslides, forest fires, encroaching bombs. <laughs> and oh it was like, is this some sort of cosmic sign? So we came to Atlanta to check it out because this was really before the, you know, now you see the Georgia peach everywhere. It's really a major nexus of the film and television community. But this was, we, we weren't quite sure after we looked around and we thought it's a beautiful city. I love it here. We went back to Los Angeles and like two or three out of every five producers we knew said, I don't know what's going on, but it seems like half the projects that I am up for are shooting in the Southeast region. So we took a chance and made the move. And a big part of it was I needed to be closer to my parents who were getting older. And the quality of life here is so much more accessible to have a wonderful quality of life. Los Angeles is a fabulous place. But uh, as many crews have found who have come here to shoot a project and decided to stay in Atlanta to raise a family, uh, this is a remarkable place to live. It sounds like it. And isn't it something, if we think back to years ago, Shannon, how there was just this shift towards Atlanta? Yes. It became like the, the next Hollywood. Yes. It it did. It really kind of started in Wilmington, North Carolina. That was the, the first time that some studios had been built. The De Laurentiis family built some studios in Wilmington, North Carolina. And production companies would come in and find out this is a great place to shoot. And as they say, the southeastern region is one of the great back lots. In other words, we can look like any place. 
Well, your description was so wonderful. It makes me want to maybe look for some property in Atlanta. <laughs> Come visit sometime. <laughs> you will be welcome. Well, thank so, you. So uh, when I first moved here, I started doing episodic television. I did some guest stars on episodic TV, started getting known by casting directors in this part of the country, then also started establishing a professional theater base, because that has been something throughout my life that I have loved, is to be able to cycle back and forth between stage production and live audience and camera production. They're two completely different disciplines. Um, They have different approaches, but they are each in their own way incredibly wonderful, with the primary difference being on theater, you've got, you can feel the audience. They're like another character that is present, and you are your own editor in that you're making the pace and the build and the structure and the denouement and throwing focus. But on film, because the camera is so intimate, even though you have no control over the end product, because that's going to be the director and the editor in post-production, you can you have an intimacy and a subtlety of layering emotions that is impossible to do in theater because of the distance involved. So you don't have that energy coming to you of that wonderful additional other character, but there's a kind of nuance that can be had in camera work, which is just wondrous for an actor to explore. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Very interesting. Thank you so much. And how did the opportunity arrive for you to have an opportunity to audition for (laughs) appearing in the film of The Patriot? Is there a story behind the audition? There's a story behind that. Um, The the idea of putting me up for it came from years and years and years and years of doing classical theater. I've worn more corsets from more different periods. I know how to wear the clothes. I can feel internally like I'm from another period in time because I've played so many characters from it. So my agents thought, great, we've got a period film. We will submit Shannon for So there's a, I'm sure your actors have talked about, you get a breakdown on the character, little character description. And there wasn't too much on Mrs. Sims other than she hosts General Cornwallis, but the character all over the place was described as the magnificent Mrs. Sims. This is like (laughs) all cap, she's magnificent. So I thought, okay, she's magnificent. Is she imperious? Is she, why is she magnificent? And I kept reading that scene and going, this woman is too stupid to live. Let me read this again. And you look at it, and I go, this is an absolute Tory nitwit. So I'm going to decide magnificent is a function of the clothes or how much money she's got, but not a function of who she is. And you just take your best guess and go, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So 
Um, that, that's my decision, and I'm sticking with it. Sent <laughs> uh, in a preliminary tape, and eventually we heard to please come to callbacks with the director. And you're going to be, I believe, we were in Rock Hill because uh, they were already in production and starting to shoot some of the battle scenes. So I go to Rock Hill, South Carolina. And God bless Roland Emmerich if they say a big aspect of genius in film direction is an attention to detail. He's in the middle of shooting this sucker, and he is personally watching all of the callback auditions for all of these different roles. And I mean, there are a tremendous number of of roles in The Patriot. So, waiting in line for the callback was like an e-ticket ride at Disneyland, you know, where they have the ropes that go snaking back and forth yes. so that you feel like you're in the line. It's to make you feel like it's not going to be as long as it's going mm-hmm. to be until you get to the ride. That's what it was like. And uh, it is personally Roland Emmerich and a crew of people in a great big room. They had all of these sort of warehouses and things because the uh, production requirements were so vast. So we're not in an office. We're not in a studio. We're we're in this giant open room. And uh, he says, do you have any questions? And I say no. And I read the scene. And he starts laughing and fell off his chair. Apparently no one else thought she was an idiot. I guess I'm the only person that thought she was an idiot based on the fact <laughs> of what she did. And he literally sat up and said, oh, dear God, I can use a laugh in the middle of this movie. Thank you so much. And, of course, you don't know anything except you drive from Rock Hill, South Carolina, back to Atlanta go, well, at least I didn't embarrass myself. And he had an enjoyable moment. And then sub- subsequently heard... You booked it. Wow. So, mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, your instincts were spot on to take that <laughs> approach that perhaps many others may not have, at least to the extent that you did. So very well done to follow your instincts and try something different. Sometimes it's instinct and sometimes it's luck and sometimes <laughs> it's both. So. <laughs> sometimes it's both. And, and sometimes and, it's both. Wow. Exactly. You know... Yes, some humor would be needed, you know, after, um, you know, it comes to light, all of the heaviness throughout the film and, and sure. dramatic moments. And, and and your scene certainly qualifies. Now, it's interesting to me, your character, is she a sympathizer towards the British crown? Yes, that's why she's hosting General Cornwallis. That's what I thought. They were Tory sympathizers, yes. That makes perfect sense. Exactly. Yes. Well, um, when you got the news that you were going to be in the film, I'm so I'm sure you were so uh, thrilled and overjoyed. Uh, Absolutely. How, how long did you actually film? Uh, I was in Charleston for about five days. So not for a long time, because essentially I was in two scenes, uh, the one where they blow up the ship and the one that I call the dueling exhortation scene where Chris Cooper and Mr. Mill are both trying to sway the passions of the local legislature, and they each have those wonderful long monologues. 
So the first scene, and I was thrilled because we were staying in Charleston where I grew up. So this was like old home week. (laughs) Exactly like old home week, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the other delightful thing was I found out that uh, they were using Middleton Plantation for this scene. Now, I grew up in Charleston knowing all the plantations. I have played a number of uh, historical characters at, at one point another project, I was the owner of Orton Plantation in Wilmington. <laughs> Here we are in Middleton. I go, huh, I'm right at home. Right you know, at home. I'm right at home. So um, the first scene, my first day, I drove in, checked into the hotel, went to sleep, had an early morning call the next day, and it's this gigantic scene of blowing up the ship. So the first person that I met wandering about was Peter Woodward, and I think it was because his trailer was in the same vicinity mine was, and also that, unbeknownst to us, it was going to take 14 hours to set up this scene. Wow, 14 hours. Right, and as the day goes on, you go, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this taking so long? We don't know, but they know what they're doing. So I have been, since I arrived on the set, in white lid makeup and the powdered wig, okay? And most of the costume, which you spend 14 hours trying to not get wrinkled. So what is starting to concern me is that we are shooting this scene, which is essentially a daytime scene. It's supposed to be happening in the late afternoon. Well, 14 hours have gone by. It's mm-hmm. dark. Mm-hmm. Okay? Finally, we are called to set. And at that point, I had not met Tom Wilkinson. I had not met Jason Isaacs, who were, of course, in the scene. So we go over, and sure enough, we are in the back sort of greensward of Middleton Plantation. And I look around, Stephen, there aren't any lights, you know. I'm going, well, maybe we're, we're shooting night for day, but there's not a cable. There's not a lighting instrument, you know. It's, there's still enough residual daylight that we can all see to get around, but there's nothing but this huge expanse of greensward and extras and the house and the water. So... I'm not going to ask a stupid question. I'm just going to wait and see how we're going to do this. You're just going to okay? show up and follow I'm going to show up and know my lines and say hello to the other people that I'm working with <laughs> and wait and see. All of a sudden, as we get closer to shooting, this deep rumble starts. I don't know where it's coming from. But eventually, coming up through the trees of the forest, rising up, are huge banks of lights, like something that you would see at a football game at night. They're all on hydraulics, and they're coming up over the back of the house. The house is behind us. It's like four or five stories tall. Here come the lights. Someone hits a switch, and it's daytime. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. What an ex- moment that must have it been. Was, it was like, <laughs> you have this go, oh. <laughs> That'll That's get you in the character right away. <laughs> and this is why this is the largest budget film I have ever worked on. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> um, so we're ready to shoot. And what was fun was uh, we did a little bit of a rehearsal for camera, but of course I had never worked with Tom or Jason. They had no idea what my interpretation of the character was. And so they said, we'll just mark it for camera. So we just marked it for camera. And then finally we are ready to shoot. And we actually go to shoot the scene. And they, of course, are shooting Tom's reaction to be shot first, Jason's reaction to be shot first, and then lastly, they would do me. So I am essentially next to them. I unleash Mrs. Sims, and (laughs) they lose it. (laughs) It's like they were not expecting that. (laughs) But it's working for everybody. So that was that was day one getting that in the can. What's funny if you want to hear about it is what happened afterwards. Yes, please. Well, by now we are all relaxed and friendly with each other and we are in the van riding back to base camp where you check out and get out of costume and whatnot. And uh, I've been in the white lead makeup and the white wig all day. And as we're riding back in the van, everyone in the van says, listen, are you staying at the hotel? Yes, I'm there. Yes, I'm there. Let's all meet in the lobby at the bar and have a drink after we get back. It's like, great, that's what we'll do. So I go back to the hotel and I shower and I wash off the white lead makeup and take the hair, the wig, of course, had been removed at the uh, set, and just get cleaned up a little bit, go downstairs, and sure enough, everybody I've met is kind of in an area of the bar, and I walk over and sit down and think about what I'm going to order, and I realize that this uncomfortable silence has fallen, and everyone is staring at me. And finally, it was Tom Wilkins said, um, I'm so sorry, but this is a a group, and what are you doing here? And I went, Tommy Shannon, it's Mrs. Sims. And they lose it because they did not recognize me in person from the person that they had been working with for the last oh, several wow. hours. So once we cleared that up, we had a <laughs> good time. <laughs> you had a good time after that. <laughs> we had a good time after that, yeah. It's like they had just, they thought, of course, that random stranger had wandered over and plopped herself down. The just trying to join them out of nowhere. Exactly, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, that must have been a compliment to you because, you. I mean, you, you must have really felt like, wow, I, I really did... Uh, have this character that, you know, people were focusing on and they didn't even recognize me, the lady behind the character. Well, much as I would like to think that, I think it's more a function of the uh, costume makeup and the the wig. So, but for whatever reason, no, we had a delightful time after that. That is a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that with me. And I, I thought I would... Um, ask you, did you have any inkling at all? And it's very understandable if you did not. 
but did you have any inkling at all at what the tone of the story was of the Patriot? Well, it's funny being raised in Charleston. You know the uh, the. The character is a compendium of a number of historical figures, and one of them was the, was Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox. And of course, mm-hmm. as a child growing up in Charleston, you knew everything about the the Swamp Fox. That was lore. So the fact that the tonal quality was going to be historical, but with an edge of adventure. And then in the the script, the passion of the political situation at the time came through very strongly. And Jason Isaacs, his character, yes. from yes. what I understand, was also at least somewhat based on an actual individual as well. He was, and, and historically he was, from the American point of view, not I a see. popular character. He was incredibly successful and incredibly ruthless as a military man. Well, after uh, filming was done, mm-hmm. did, you know, obviously you were involved with this wonderful scene, and sounds like there was a <laughs> lot of adventures. You know, sometimes a person doesn't know what the outcome will be for lots of reasons, as you right. well know. But did you have any clue that maybe you might be a part of something special with your moment? Because it is a very memorable moment from the film. You know, when you shoot something, you never even know if it's going to end up in the film. Yeah. So this was one of those where I thought, I know it's going to be gorgeous to look at. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems to think it's funny. If it makes it into the movie, that will be delightful. But you release it. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, uh, the next scene that I shot was in that dueling exhortation scene between Mel Gibson and Chris Cooper. And as luck would have it, they had me seated next to Heath Ledger. So who I got to spend while they're setting up an, an hour or two of delightful conversation with this warm, open, sunny, delightful young man. And I was explaining to him, he said, uh, he, he was asking, he, because he, of course, had not been in that particular scene. He said, well, what is your character like? And I told him and I said, I have an idea for this scene, if you will allow me. And he said, what? And I said, well, there's very important, passionate speech-making going on. And I think it would be true to my character if I fell asleep on your shoulder and drooled. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, I actually kind of love that. Wow. Now, that did not make it into the film. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the kind. Very creative idea you had. One step, well, true to her. Do you know what I mean? This this was not a woman who could sustain attention. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Intellectual speeches over any amount of time. Did they let you film it at least once that way? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they moved us around next to different people. The the reactions were filmed uh, following 
uh, Chris and Mel's singles yes. and the coverage of them. And then they went around and filmed the crowd reaction. So that was one of the things that they filmed. But as I say, you know, it's the movie is vast. It's just more a testament to Heath Ledger being a good sport and having a wonderful sense of humor. Did you have um, a chance to have uh, any conversations in between takes with him? Just about general things. This this was this wonderful, sunny personality that was completely happy and at peace with life and, and open. Uh, it was devastating. His loss was absolutely devastating years later. It sure was. It was. You know, when you just described that, Shannon... Um, you know, I hope you don't mind me wearing my heart on my sleeve, but that has me teary-eyed instantly because I agree with you that he was a, a special young man with a special talent. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, my personal thoughts, having nothing about it, was that his death was accidental. You know, there was a tremendous amount of controversy. And uh, I, uh, based on the young man that I met, I have to think it was accidental. Well, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts um, about that. And, and, and um, I have to tell you, I'm just enjoying these stories so much. I would like to ask you, because you're a part of this scene with these speeches. These are very moving speeches and passionate yes. speeches. Uh, yes. I, I'm just wondering, as I, I know that you were in character, of course, but just as a lady... Did did you feel stirred by the the script of you know for the portion of this film that, with these speeches? It's really interesting to me, Stephen. I, uh, this will seem like a digression, but it's not. But it reminded me. I have done so much Shakespeare, and I've either directed uh-huh. or been so many Shakespeare histories. And in the structure of those plays, you have two opposing viewpoints, and you will have beautiful, passionate arguments from both perspectives, and in the middle are dead soldiers. So in terms of listening to it, you go, no matter which side I gravitate towards, or sympathize with the cost of reaching that point of view is going to be incredible. So sitting, not being an actor, not being in character, just being a person, um, it made me sad for that reason. Because there's a sort of nothing has changed. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And isn't isn't one of the lasting impact of the film is, yes, the horrors of war, if you want to give it a a, a significant title. But I think the fact that Mel's character was not wanting to go to war because he already knew about the horrors of war and, and how, like you just described... That, you know, mark my words, there will be pain and suffering like you yes. have never imagined that yes. will follow you to your families and homes. And that's why he did not want to participate, was he knew 
that it's not all glamour and glory. It's loss and it's death and it's pain and it's suffering. Yes, but at the bottom line is, but hey, we're going to get drawn into it anyway. Yes, and that's another point that sometimes perhaps there is no avoidance of a certain situation with war. I'll tell you, it's one of the uh, incredible things about the Patriot. I I would like to say, Shannon, and, and also to get your opinion, you know, after you saw the film, isn't it just astonishing the depths of pain that you do see in Mel's character, especially early on at the farmhouse? And for a father, because I'm a father, to lose not just one, but two sons to the war, your home is burnt, et cetera, et cetera. To me, it was almost like unbearable that this man could handle such a burden. Yes. It was a wonderful personal creation uh, on the part of the screenwriter in the sense that they they took attributes from these four different people and actions that they took, but it, the epic is wrapped around the fact that it's an intensely personal story. And I yes. think that's why people resonate with it so much. Well, you were in a scene with Jason Isaacs. Uh, my viewpoint is that I consider his performance one of the more cold-hearted, ruthless <laughs> performances in cinema history. And and mind you, there have been a long list of such characters. <laughs> such characters, I think yes. that he makes probably the top ten. Uh, just the, the certain coldness to uh, his methods, just so brutal. But when you saw the film, were you taken aback at just how evil the character came across on screen or how heartless? See, I saw the film also as an actor, and so he had my great admiration. Um, There is a bravery in playing a right bastard and embracing that bastardom. Do you know what I mean? Without trying to sand down the edges, without trying to humanize the character. Uh, it's, It's a wonderfully brave performance. Very well said. And you're right. It, the performance is just outstanding. Yes. The choices he made. And he could be chilling without raising his voice. Oh, of course. Oh, my of goodness. Course. Of course. Uh, I remember so many scenes where I just got chills from his stare. And when you, you know when the hair comes out, Shannon, and the scene in the, in, out in the field, you know, that was oh, also... Oh, oh takes you aback of, yes. like, oh my goodness, I didn't really realize just, yes. you know, that he even had that much hair. Uh, I will share something with you, Shannon. What is I that? found one small clue, and believe me, I'm not giving excuses for his behavior, but as, as actors, right, you try to find a reason, a thread of why a person is why they are, and it was the scene where he was promised land in Ohio. And I'm broadcasting from Cincinnati, no less. And Tom Wilkinson's character had mentioned that, you know, his, uh, you know, about his father and his family. And there was just that brief moment where I felt like there just had to be like that was the backstory that somehow changed him. That's a very interesting thought. And that had not occurred to me, Stephen. 
Well, thank you. I just That's wanted really to quite share wonderful. that with you. Well, if you ever see it again, he's... I, I will look at it through your eyes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and Shannon, I thought um, we would conclude by just asking what was your response when you were at the theater and, and you got to see it? And also, what about the music? Were you, I'm sure you were so pleased at this incredible score. Oh, the part score, of the is, this score is, the score is exquisite. And yes. when you go to the theater, when you see uh, a film in which you, for the first time, you know that you're appearing in because you know that they have told you that you're in the credits. So you go, okay, something remained. I don't know how much remains of, <laughs> of what I shot. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying the film, and all of a sudden we get to that scene, we get to the moment, and the entire audience starts to laugh. And you go, okay, (laughs) back on the day when Roland Emmerich said, I can use a laugh in the middle of this movie. (laughs) Thank you, God, he got his wish. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wow. Well, you impacted the film then, Shannon. I mean, look what you did. You you impacted the film with your instinct. And and that is just wonderful. And I have to tell you, I watch it every 4th of July. Do you really? That's a wonderful tradition. It is a tradition of mine. And I have to tell you, yes, it's every year it's not less um, difficult to sit through certain scenes. But you know what it is? Well, first of all, I love watching phenomenal filmmaking and and acting, right? I mean, that just draws me in. But I have to tell you, for me, I just feel a sense of hope against incredible odds and I often think of that moment where, where Benjamin is on his knees and he's maybe going to just give up in his confrontation with Jason's character that had been building all film long. Right. And it's slow motion and you see a rebel go by with the American flag just waving yeah. in the wind. Yeah. And it was like that moment something turned in him. And I have to tell you, I just find a great sense of, of hope when I view the film. And that's the hallmark of a truly great film, that it can provoke a visceral response. So you've seen it every year for 20 years, right? And you still have an emotional response to it, which that's the testament to a truly great film. Well, Shannon, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for making my anniversary special just that extra special. Stephen, it's been wonderful talking to you.
wife's expecting a child soon, isn't she? She gave birth to a son three weeks ago. Huh. What'd you name him? We named him Gabriel. Thank you, Harry. Steve Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. Hollywood and Beyond Podcast, created, produced, and hosted by actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in.